Lord, I pray that, that you would come now as we open up your word and that you would speak to us, that you would strengthen us, encourage us. Lord, you know how much I need your help right now. Uh, give me wisdom in your word and just a heart that's full of love for you and your word and this flock. And I pray that you would do a mighty work now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I want to start off talking about David Brainerd for just a couple of minutes here to kind of introduce our topic for today. David Brainerd, one of my heroes, um, one of the first missionaries to the American Indians, lived in the New England area, early 1700s. He was born again, saved, converted at around the age 17. What happened was he just came to the place in his life where he realized that that uh, there was a God and he was created to know God and that, that knowing God, trusting God, worshiping God, glorifying God, depending on God, that's what life was all about. But that all of his life long up to that point, he turned his back on God. And so he realized that he was separated from the God he was created to know. He rebelled against the God he was created to know. He faced punishment from the God he was created to know. But he'd, he'd been going to church some and had read the scriptures and he saw that God, in great love, amazing mercy and compassion, came to the earth in the person of Jesus, was punished in our place so we could be forgiven for our rebellion against God and be reconciled to God. So this just struck him as wonderful news. And so we don't know the exact date that this occurred, but at one point when he was 17, 18 years old, David Brainerd welcomed Jesus Christ into his life as his Lord and as his Savior and as as his heart-satisfying treasure, welcomed Jesus into his life, trusted Jesus Christ. And that just changed everything for him. Because from that point on, he knew the living God. He experienced a real experiential relationship with the living God through Jesus. It wasn't constant, but it was frequent. Let me give you one example of, of what he experienced. I just found a quote from his journal. Here's the kind of thing he experienced from time to time. He said, The Lord, by his grace, so shined into my heart, that I enjoyed full assurance of his favor. In prayer, I found unspeakable sweetness and delight in God. Now just, just a side note here. Have you experienced anything like that recently? Have you experienced times of prayer like that, like this past week or in this past month? If you haven't, this is what can be yours through Christ. If, you, if you'll take time to seek the Lord with all your heart. Unspeakable sweetness and delight in God. My soul dearly loved all mankind and longed exceedingly that they should enjoy what I enjoyed. So this is the kind of thing that David Brainerd started to experience, okay? But now, here's the point I want to make. Even though Brainerd had been powerfully transformed, born again, converted, having powerful experiences like this with God, he still needed to be very careful about his words, his tongue, his language, how he spoke. Here's why I say this. Two years after he was saved, he had been studying at Yale College, ready to graduate. But he wrote in his journal that one day, being filled with pride and kind of self-righteousness, he slandered one of the professors at Yale so severely that the administration of Yale kicked him out. Expelled him. He never graduated. All those years of study for naught. Of course, God 
in his mercy, as he always does, he used this, worked this out for great good, ended up leading him to be a missionary to the American Indians and everything else. But the point was that David Brainerd, as much as he had been born again, saved, as close as he was to Jesus, as strong as he was in faith, he still needed to be careful about his words. And you and me, as strong as we might be in faith and as close as we might be in trusting Jesus, we need to be careful about our words. So that's James' point in this next chapter in the book of James that we're going to be studying. So let's turn there. James chapter 3. Now if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We are passionate about studying the scriptures here at Mercy Hill Church. And so if you didn't bring a Bible, let us give you one that you can use this morning. Open up to page 1012 in these Bibles. So we can all study James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12 is what we'll be focusing on this morning. Now, the first question we got to ask about this passage is, what is James' main point in this passage? What's his point? And we have to ask that because it's not obvious when you start reading. Look at what he says in verse 1. James 3, are you all there? That's page 1012 in these Bibles we just passed out. Okay, James towards the back right hand of your Bible. James 3, look at what he says in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Okay, now James writes this letter uh, to a group of believers who had lived in Jerusalem, but around the year A.D. 42, persecution broke out in Jerusalem. They fled for their lives north, settled in the North Palestine, Syria area. And so James, who had been their pastor, one of their pastors, wrote this letter to encourage them. And it's clear that this group of believers up north had some in their group who wanted to become uh, teachers in the, in the church gathering. And so James warns them. Not many of you should become teachers. So you could think that then in this chapter, this section, James' main point is to talk to people who wanted to be teachers. But that's not, he is talking to them, but as you keep reading through the chapter, you see that he broadens out his discussion to include all of us, as you can see, for example, in verse 2, where he says, we all stumble in many ways. Okay, that's, that's all of us, not just those who want to be teachers. And in verse 8, where he says, no human being can tame the tongue, which applies to all of us. And then when you look at the kinds of speech he's warning about in these verses, he doesn't focus on like false teaching or teaching-oriented kind of stuff. It's just the stuff, you know, boasting and the stuff we all tend to deal with. Okay, so James is talking to those who want to be teachers and everyone else. He's talking to all of us, in other words. And his main point is this. We need to be careful about our words careful about our words. Now, just let me illustrate it in this way. Let's say that this picture I found in the back schoolroom here, anyway, I don't know what used to be in this thing, but let's say that this was full of, of water, filled to the brim with water. And if I was going to walk to if this is filled to the brim with water, it wouldn't be that, like that huge of a problem if it spilled out on somebody, right? Or if it spilled out on me, I wouldn't be that, I mean, I'd be careful, but I wouldn't be that careful, right? But, but let's say that if instead this was filled to the brim with a highly toxic acid, that if it touched your skin would burn right through it. Well, then you'd imagine I'd walk like, I mean, because not even a drop do I want to touch this little thumb. I like that thumb, you know, and, and I'd be very, very careful not to spill it on anybody else. Feel the difference? James wants us to be that careful about our words. And he gives five reasons 
in this passage, verses 1 through 12, five reasons why we should be careful about our words. First one, he says, we will all be judged by our words. Okay, look at verse 1, get the whole flow. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You know, this, this is a sobering verse for me. Okay, I, I do a lot of uh, teaching, and because I teach, I will be judged with greater strictness than those who don't teach. Simple reason, I, I, I talk to a lot of people, I, I, I have a lot of words, and I'm in a position of trust, right? And so I'm going to be judged with greater strictness. But that doesn't mean that the rest of you don't get judged at all. It just means I get judged with a greater strictness. You with a lesser strictness, right? Just like the verse, who read the verse this morning? We're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Anyway, that was the same, same idea. So if you're not a teacher, you're not judged, you are judged, but just not with the same strictness. So this is one reason we all should be careful about our words, because we're all going to be judged. Now, what does this mean? At the end of history, we're all going to stand before Jesus, and the time to be prepared for that is now. No one here needs to be fearful of what's, what's going to come down at that judgment. You can know completely, 100% for certain sure, that when he sees you, he's smiling, okay? Because there's only one question that's going to be important on that day. Only one question. Were you trusting Jesus? That's the only question. Just one question. Were you trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior and as your heart-satisfying treasure? That's the only question. Were, were you trusting Jesus? And if you were trusting Jesus, that will then have shown itself in, among other things, in your words. Your words in your life will show that you trusted Jesus. Not because your words were perfect. Okay, can we just clear the air of that immediately? Okay, no one's going to have perfect words except for Jesus. Okay, no man, no human being except for Jesus, the God man. My words, far from perfect. Your words, far from perfect. Okay, so it's not that we have perfect words, but it's that our words show that we had hearts that trusted Jesus. For example, there will be words that were Christ word that were, had the aroma of praise to Jesus and love for Jesus and walking with Jesus and worshiping Jesus. That'll show that you had trust in Jesus. Those words. Um, your words will show, if you've been trusting Jesus, will show a growing kindness and humility and boldness. There'll be a growing trend. Not, not perfect love, kindness, humility, honesty, but growing your words will show a lessening of pride and of boastfulness and of slander and of gossip. Your words will show a growing confession for times when you stumble in your words. So that's how words will show that your trust in Jesus was genuine. Does that make sense? Okay. The other way it could go is that your words would show that you, you didn't genuinely trust Jesus. There were no words of love for Christ and worship to him from the heart and praise. There, there, there weren't words of Christ-centered love and honesty and, and boldness and humility. There, there, there was just kind of a pattern of, of pride and of, and of gossip and of slander. There, there weren't words of genuine, heartfelt confession before the Lord for when you stumbled in your words. And that would show that you weren't trusting Jesus. 
So see, that's how the judgment works. Do your words show, not that you were perfect, but that you in your heart were genuinely trusting Jesus? So see, you can know that right now. No one needs to be wondering, you know, what's going to happen that final day. Just look at your words. But do you see why that means we need to be careful about our words? We need to think about our words because our words will be judged at the final day. That's the first reason. Second reason. It's because we are by nature evil in our words. Now this might be hard for some of you to swallow if you've, if you've you know, thought about everybody's basically good. and Well, we're not. Okay? The Bible's very clear. And I mean, shoot, I don't need to look very far like into my own heart to see that. But anyway, look at what James says. We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body, which nobody's able to do. Okay, So we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in what we say. Now, if you have a hard time buying that, let me just ask you a couple of questions. How many of you need to really discipline yourself to speak impatient words? Like today, this afternoon, I'm going to really try hard sometime to speak something impatient. Anybody need to like really work on that one? No, it's just they just like blah, you know, just there it is. Or how many how many need, you needed to train your kids now, Johnny? This is how you lie. Lying is where you don't tell the truth. Okay, now let's try it. No, how did Johnny learn to lie? Where'd this come from? I mean, how many of us need to really kind of work ourselves up to be to be able to boast or to slander? It just comes. But how many of us need to work on being? humble in our words, or kind in our words, or patient in our words. Like, hello, okay? Case closed. By nature, we are all evil in our words. So, we need to be very careful about our words. Toxic acid, all right? It's in there. All right, now, third reason. It's because words can bring terrible destruction. Verses 3 through 6. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. The mouth affects the whole body. Verse 4, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. Something small affects something big. Verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of righteousness, of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Tongue can cause major problems. Great destruction, terrible destruction. Um, it, can, it can bring destruction upon you personally. When you speak angry words to someone, anger in you is inflamed against them. Right? When you speak boastful words, your sense of superiority to people increases. When you gossip, your sense of self-righteousness increases. The, the words that you speak come out of a heart of gunk, but it increases the gunkiness of the heart when you speak the words. So it affects you, and your words affect other people. 
I mean, your words can destroy a friendship. Anybody done that? Your words can ruin a marriage. Your words can harm a person. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me? I don't think so. That's not true. I think words can hurt much more than sticks and stones. Can't they? Terrible destruction. Fourth reason. By ourselves, those are two crucial words here. We'll come back to them in a moment. By ourselves, we can't tame our tongues. Verses 7 and 8. Every kind of beast and bird, reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Okay, I grew up with dogs. Uh, first we had dachshunds, then we had beagles, okay? And it was amazing how, you know, sit, little piece of milk bone, sit, little piece of milk bone, sit, little piece of milk bone, all of a sudden sit, sit, no milk bone, okay? Or roll over or shake, the whole thing. You can train animals. So what you want them to do, they will do. So what happens when you tell your tongue, be kind? It's bad, okay? Or be humble. It boasts, right? Or be gentle. It's harsh. You can't tame your tongue, which is another reason why we need to be very careful about the tongue. Now, if you can't tame the tongue, then why is James even telling us this? What, what can we do? What should we do? We're going to come back to that in a moment. It's not the end of the story. But there's one more reason he gives first, verses 9 through 12. Our words quickly become wicked. Verses 9 through 12. With it, that is with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? No. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So think about it like this. I've got a case of uh, bottled water in my garage. And when I head out to go surfing, I grab a couple bottles, throw them in my car, and and head out. When I'm finished, I always just take the top off and just glug one down because I'm really thirsty. I don't even think about, like, this is every time I've opened up one of those bottles of water, it's a bottle of water. It's very consistent. Those bottles are consistent. Water, 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 water. There's consistency. Now, our tongues are not like that, though. If at 2 o'clock today, you speak with kindness and grace and gentleness and love and mercy, does that mean that at 2.15, you'll be continuing to speak with kindness and grace and gentleness and mercy? No. Same mouth. (laughs) Right? No. It's not the case. We are very inconsistent. We quickly move from love to hate, from grace to to harsh. Our mouths change. So if you've been cruising in love and kindness and, 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 and mellow words at two, it doesn't mean you can put it on autopilot. You've got to be careful about your words because of what might happen at 2.15. Okay? All right, so this is what James is talking about. Be careful about your words. Five reasons. We'll be judged by our words. Okay, because we, by nature, are evil in our words. Because our tongues can bring terrible destruction... Because in ourselves, we can't tame our words, and then because our words quickly become wicked. Okay, last question. 
Well, then what can we do? What can we do about our words? And again, you could think, just based on verses 1 through 12, if those are all the verses that we had, you could think it was hopeless because of verse 8. No human being can tame the tongue. It sounds hopeless. But if you read more of James' letter, especially a verse in chapter 1, you'll see that James is not saying that no one can change his or her words. What he's saying is that apart from Jesus Christ, his power, his real experienced power, no one can change his or her words. By the way, you can send your words underground, right? Just as a little, you might think, well, I, I haven't spoken a harsh word for months. Outside, you haven't. I mean, like, out of your mouth. Anybody speak harsh words inside? Okay, some of us, like, I mean, you, we can specialize. You know, all right, okay. All right, so, so you might, so don't think you've tamed your tongue if, like you've sewn your lips up, okay? Because your tongue can talk very loudly, silently, inside, right? Just so we're, we're clear what we're talking about here with taming your tongue. But look at chapter 1, verse 26. We've already read this, but we gotta, that's why you've got to take, you've got to read all of what an author says to get the flow. Look at chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, when James uses the word religion, he's not talking about like dry institutionalism, you know, that kind of thing. He's talking about genuine faith in Jesus when he uses the word religion. A Jesus-centered spirituality, a heart trust in the living Jesus. And so what James is saying here is that true religion, genuine faith in Jesus when your heart is connected to the living Jesus by faith, you'll be able to bridle your tongue. Not perfectly, but growingly. Okay? So, let me give you four suggestions about how to do this. We've seen from verses 1 through 12, we've got to be careful about our words. Careful about our words. Both the words we speak audibly and the words that we speak inside of our, our hearts. But here's four suggestions for how to how to bridle your tongue, how to tame your tongue. First, just like look carefully at your words. Just like just kind of sit back and think about the conversations you've had this morning or yesterday or this last week. Look at your words. Uh, are your words marked by love, grace, humility, compassion? Are they, do they have the aroma of Jesus is Jesus being thanked in your words and Jesus being praised and Jesus being spoken of? Or are your words harsh and impatient and angry and frustrated? Are there, are there words of confession to Jesus for your stumbling over your words? Look at your words. Just kind of take stock of your words. Secondly, confess sinful words to Jesus and receive his forgiveness. Almost every day, I, I, I should do this. I need to do this. And, and you do too, don't you? I mean, almost every day, probably every day. Um, and so when you stumble in your words, which as a follower of Jesus, you will. Are we, are we clear on that point? Do followers of Jesus stumble in their words? Let's just be really clear. Are, don't followers of Jesus, aren't they like perfect in their words? No, okay, just to be sure. So you will stumble, but take advantage of that to drive you to the cross. And in a fresh way to come before Jesus and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. 
cleanse me and meet him before the cross and let him pour his love and his favor and his forgiveness and his experienced nearness upon you afresh because you'll emerge stronger than ever before. So confess your sinful words to Jesus and receive his forgiveness. And then third, ask Jesus to transform your words. I just thought of this verse. Many of you have memorized this, I know. Psalm 1914. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Why did the psalmist need to pray this? Because he needed help in this. Because he knew that the words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart were often not acceptable in God's sight. And so he prays, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, may they be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So he's asking God to help him with this. Isn't that encouraging? One of the authors of scripture needed God's help so that he would, his speech would be acceptable to God, pleasing to God. Well, you do too, right? There we are. So ask Jesus to transform your words. One last point. Notice those times when you tend to stumble in your words. Just think, it's, it's during bath time <laughs> with my kids, or it's on the 280 as I'm on my way to work, you know, or, okay, different times. Think about, or it's with this certain group of friends. So think about the times when you tend to stumble in your words and intentionally set your heart on Jesus during those times. Why? Well, see, when your heart is set upon Jesus, just like that song we sang, and you're trusting all that he promises to be to you, there will be peace in your heart, there will be hope, There'll be joy, and the words that'll flow out will be loving and gracious and kind. When your heart is set on Jesus, like Jesus said, the mouth speaks out of the fullness of the heart. The words come from what's inside the heart. When your heart's full of Jesus, the words that come out will be good words. Which means that those times when I stumble in my words, my heart isn't being set on Jesus. So notice those times. So seriously, if the time when your words aren't so good is like before bedtime with your kids. You know, you're all tired and they're tired and cranky and it's, you want to get through the bath quick. I remember those days. Intentionally set your heart on Jesus during those times. Say, Jesus, just help me. Help me to love my kids even more right now. Just love on them. I'm tired. I wish that they would stop splashing me. You know, just help me, Lord. And, and he will. Or if it's a certain group of friends that you tend to gossip with or, or speak badly of other people, then before you go into that time, say, Jesus, help me now to to have my heart set on you during this conversation. I don't want to be swept up in this. Help me, Lord Jesus, just to to love my neighbors, myself, during these conversations and to love you more than anything. And he will help you to do that, or, you know, as, as you're on the 280 freeway. Or You get the idea? So think about that situation in your life where you stumble in your words and and then work on it. Okay, now, what questions does this raise? need to be careful about our words. Um, a couple suggestions for how to bridle, how to tame our tongues. But what, what, what questions? Is like, how does this work? Or what about that? Or That's a really good question. Um, well, first of all, we, we are all ministers. Okay? Every single... I'm not more of a minister than you are. The word minister is a little bit of a, not, a, little bit of a problem. Okay? But the, also in the church, you read that there are people that are called teachers. There's an office of teaching. You know, you can get weird about that and kind of get institutionalized about it. You shouldn't be. It's a functional thing. So there are people who are called to a position of teaching. That's what I'm called to. 
Okay, so because I spend a lot of time, there's a lot of words, and, and you know, more people hear my words than, than, than your usual person, there's a position of trust here too, and a sense of trust. God's going to be very, very fuller, your words, okay? He's going to be more strict about my words than he would be about somebody who doesn't have the office of teaching, okay? So, yes, to the fact that we're all ministers, that's a huge thing we've got to dial up, but there are also positions and offices in the church. There's elders, there's teachers, and so on and so forth. Well, it sounds like the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you need to maybe change some of your language when you're with them, right? Because you're obviously troubled by it, and so the Holy Spirit's... So ask for the Lord to give you that purity, and ask the Lord to give you the ability to become all things to all men without crossing the lines. So in light of that, let me just encourage you, you may need to go and, and talk to somebody, like this afternoon, call somebody up, or talk to your wife, and ask for apologies for some things that maybe were said yesterday or earlier this week. I wouldn't be at all surprised in a group of this size if there's some important conversations that need to take place. Uh, maybe people at the workplace, friends or whatever. But let's be careful about our words. That's what James is really trying to press upon us here. Let's be careful about our words. So take stock of them, pray, ask Jesus to forgive you, and then set your heart on Jesus in those settings in which our words tend to, to drift from what Jesus would call us to be speaking. And as he fills your heart, as you're loving him and being loved by him your words will change as your heart changes with his love so let's stand together let's pray about this thank you lord for james um, just really getting into the nitty-gritty of our lives and this whole issue of our words lord we all talk Many, many, many words every day. And the most important thing, Jesus, is that we're, we're having our hearts set upon you. And that we're abiding in you. And that we're trusting you. And that we're filled by you. Not that we're trying to impress other people or try to put down other people or whatever, but that our hearts are in, in you, Jesus. So would you strengthen us in that? Because I know and we know that as you do that, our words will, will be changed. So would you help us? Lord, I, I pray for, for those here who need to go to someone and ask forgiveness for some recent words. Give them grace to do that, Lord. Let there be love and forgiveness shared and exchanged and healing come. And Lord, I pray for anybody here who's discouraged thinking that their words could never change. Lord, I pray that you just impress upon them that that is absolutely not true. And that by your death on the cross, breaking the power of sin, and by your resurrection life, filling us with your love, that our hearts can be changed. Not becoming perfect, but can be changed. Can be changed. And so we thank you, Lord, that you can do that. This week, help us to be careful about our words. And work in our hearts and then in our words, Lord. So there's love and there's praise to Christ in what we speak. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.